You are now listening to the IntersectionVictoria.com podcast. A place where faith meets facts. A podcast made for the thinking Christian and the skeptic. Welcome to part four of our The Man Who Split History in Two series. Here we look at whether or not archaeology is a friend of the Bible. I believe in a God who holds the heavens and the earth in existence. I believe that on the basis of rational evidence. The Kama Singer came out with a conclusion, and Frederick Coyle both said this, there is no way to explain the origin of life, and I'm quoting Coyle now, in an earthbound explanation. Something extraterrestrial had to be brought into this plane, to this picture. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today we're going to look at whether or not the New Testament is historically accurate. Whenever people question the historical accuracy of the New Testament, essentially what they're trying to establish is that it is a mythological piece of work and is not a obvious, true, accurate version of events. Now, there are some things about the New Testament that make it unlike myth, completely not the genre of myth. As we established in the first three sections of our series on Jesus and the New Testament, we saw that right from the beginning, right within the generation of Jesus' lifetime, the enemies of Christianity, the Roman government, the Jewish religious establishment, and Greek bystanders, all remarked that the earliest belief of the church was that Christ was a miracle-working, resurrected Messiah. Now, this was happening within the first generation of Christians. And as we saw in the other two, second and third parts of the series, the writing of the New Testament books occurred within 20 to 70 years of Jesus' life, well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and his contemporaries. So this makes wild fantasy creation, such as myth, about Christ as difficult as possible. I mean, imagine trying to rewrite John F. Kennedy's biography, even today, almost 60 years after his death, and trying to make JFK out to be a supernatural, miracle-working Messiah who rose from the dead. Even though we're we're a full three generations removed from his lifetime, so many people are still around today who were alive back then, it it would make it impossible to sneak in this kind of wild mythology about a historical figure that we've all just recently known about. That radical makeover wouldn't fly. Now, if we just practice normal historical methodology to the New Testament, we can ask some basic, and the the kind of methodology that's applied to all ancient texts, I think it's fair to ask that we would treat the New Testament no differently, neither better nor worse, than any other ancient text we study we would like to apply normal historical methodology both to the New Testament and any other ancient texts we're evaluating. So if we asked of the New Testament, are there people, places, events, laws found in archaeology that corroborate what the New Testament says? Well, the answer to that is a resounding yes. And because the New Testament is written as though it was history, filled with people, places, events, kings, famous people, etc. We can pursue the avenue of comparing the New Testament account to our archaeological account to see if there is a corroboration. Another angle critics will sometimes use against the gospel writers 
is that they had an agenda to promote, is what the skeptic will say. So, of course, these authors will be unreliable. After all, they're biased. They're not journalists. They believed in Christianity. They loved Christ. They loved the church. So they will be biased. Now, many other works of history, for example, those written by Herodotus, Livy, Tacitus, etc., have a ton of bias injected into them by their authors, who themselves, the authors themselves, admit to pursuing a moral and political ideal in their writings. Yet no single historical critic or scholar holds that against these authors, nor do they question the validity of that reporting simply because there was an author with conviction and bias. So it's only fair that we treat the Gospels the same way as these other ancient texts, and that is to evaluate them for their historical content and overlook any bias that may or may not exist. Another point in favor of the New Testament is that it is written very, very close to the period of time that they record. So the authors may have written 20 to 70 years after Jesus' life, but this is extremely early compared to other texts of ancient history. For example, Plutarch and Livy often described events that took place centuries before their lives. Yet this poses no problem to modern historians who still successfully draw correct data from these texts. Ancient histories sometimes disagree strongly amongst themselves in the wildest possible fashion about the same event and subject matter. For example, the four ancient sources for Tiberius Caesar have huge areas of disagreement and contradiction, as do the accounts of the first century fire in Rome under Emperor Nero. Yet the history they do record can still be fleshed out by the scientific methodology of historical analysis, and they can still be viewed as historically valuable documents. The New Testament does not suffer from that type of problem. Therefore, it shouldn't be seen as a mark against it that it has no deviating plot line or wildly differing accounts of people, places, and events, or in especially Christ, within the New Testament. As a historical text, it's both early and synchronous in what it describes, making it better than all texts of antiquity in terms of their historical reliability. Now, if we look at the book of Acts, it is written by Luke, who's also the author of the Gospel of Luke. It used to be considered a single work, and it's been split up in our New Testaments. And these, this is an extremely detailed historical look at both the life of Christ and the first generation of Christians after Christ ascended and left earth. The early church's historical records is mainly found in the book of Acts. So if there's any way to ascertain the historical accuracy of the accounts of Christ in the early church, it will be by looking at these two texts, as well as some others from the New Testament. Now, with the list I'm about to go through is not exhaustive. There's a tremendous amount of detail that could be looked at that I will simply ignore. I'm just going to give you a few highlights that show you that archaeology supports what the scriptures detail. So, if we look at the Luke chapter 3, it refers to Lysanias as being a tetrarch of a city called Abilene at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, which would have been around circa 27 AD. Now, for a while, historians were saying, well, the only record of any Lysanias we have from that period is of a guy who was killed in 36 BC. 
about 60 years before this guy that Luke talks about. So the Bible must be wrong. Well, all of a sudden, we discover an inscription near the city of Damascus, which says, quote-unquote, Freedman of Lysanias, the Tetrarch, end quote. In other words, somebody had been freed by a guy called Lysanias, who was a Tetrarch. And the plaque was dated to between 14 and 29 AD, within the sphere of time that Luke had mentioned. So here's an example of the Bible being vindicated by archaeology. In Romans 16, Paul, he's who's writing to the Roman Christians, speaks of a city treasurer named Erastus. In 1929, there was an excavation in the Greek city of Corinth, and a piece of pavement was unearthed in which the following words were inscribed. Erastus, curator of public buildings, laid this pavement at his own expense. Now, if we look at Acts chapter 19, Luke mentions a riot in the city of Ephesus that which took place in a theater. And since that time, the theater and other aspects of the city of Ephesus have been unearthed and excavated, and they are accurately detailed as they are in Luke's account of Paul's journey to Ephesus, all backed up by actual excavations. Acts 21 records an incident which broke out between Paul and certain Jews from Asia while Paul was visiting Jerusalem. The Jews were accusing Paul of defiling the temple by allowing a Gentile named Trophimus to enter it. Now, in Acts 21, Paul's even arrested, and they're threatened to kill him for having defiled the temple by bringing a non-Jew into it. Now, this is a bit of a head-scratcher for historians who are saying, are we sure this was a belief? It's, it's not written anywhere else in Scripture. Well, interestingly, in 1871, they found a piece of stone with the following Greek inscriptions. No foreigner may enter within the barricade, which surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to thank for his ensuing death. And this fully explains the uproar of the Jews against Paul in Acts 21. In Acts 18, Luke addresses a figure by the name of Gallio as being the quote-unquote proconsul. And an inscription in the city of Delphi in Greece verifies this exact title. It actually says, quote, As Lucius Junius Gallio, my friend and the proconsul of Achaia, end quote. Acts 28, Luke calls Publicus, a chief man of Malta, or the first man of the island. We have inscriptions that call Publicus, quote-unquote, first man. Luke also refers correctly to provinces that were established at that time and are no longer politically true today, showing an accurate geopolitical understanding that was true only of that time. Luke demonstrates a clear knowledge of local customs, such as those relating to the speech of the Lyconians, some aspects relating to the foreign woman who was converted at Athens in Acts 17, and even knew the city that the city of Ephesus was known as the quote-unquote temple keeper of Artemis. Whenever Luke refers to different local officers, it is by their exact titles, proconsul, magistrates, polytarchs, etc. He knows their titles, their professions, and these are found to be accurate through historical and, and archaeological analysis. 
Luke had accurate knowledge about various local events, such as the famine in the days of Claudius Caesar, recorded in Acts 11. Luke is also aware that Zeus and Hermes were worshipped together at the city of Lystra, but this was unknown to modern historians. Luke knows that Diana, also known as Artemis, was the goddess of the Ephesians, and that was able, he was able to describe the trade at Ephesus in religious images. Now, if we look at the Gospel of John, we'll see some interesting corroborations as well. For example, in John 5 and 9, we're just, we have this, the description of the five porticos, or pillars, at the Pool of Bethesda, which is by the Sheep Gate of the Jerusalem Wall, and also a description of the Pool of Siloam, which have all been unearthed through archaeological digs. The pavement written of in John 18, as well as Solomon's porch in the temple precincts, have also been found. Archaeologists have unearthed Jacob's well at Sychar, which is mentioned in John chapter 4. An inscription found in Caesarea confirms that Pilate's role was as the prefect of Judea during the time of Christ, which is interesting because until the 1900s discovery of this monument, there was no other historical record or proof that there was a name, a man named Pilate who worked as the Roman proconsul. And there was a time where skeptics claimed that it was a fabrication in the scriptures, which turns out that, no, the scriptures were right. Archaeology eventually saves the day. The discovery of a box of bones of a crucified man named Johanan from the first century in, in Israel confirms that nails were used to pierce the ankles of victims during Roman crucifixion. Such was the case of Christ, of course, and this discovery is significant in answering the skeptics who believed that the Romans used only ropes to tie the victim's leg to the cross. That was something that was believed for a while, but again, archaeology has overturned the belief and shown the New Testament to be the accurate version of events. And in 1990, the burial grounds of Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, and his whole family were uncovered. This is an undeniable fact that Caiaphas existed as a true historical figure. The significance of this kind of extra-biblical evidence is of such a magnitude that honest skeptics are now forced to agree that the Bible has, is historically accurate and reliable. One such person was Sir William Ramsey. Considered one of the world's greatest archaeologists, he believed that the New Testament, particularly the book of Luke and Acts, were simply 2nd century forgeries. So he spent 30 years in Asia Minor, seeking to dig up enough evidence to prove that Luke and Acts was nothing more than a lie. At the conclusion of his long journey, however, he was compelled to admit that the New Testament was a first-century compilation and that the Bible was historically reliable. This fact actually led to his conversion and the embracing of the very faith he once believed to be a hoax. Dr. Ramsey said, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Luke is unsurpassed in respects of its trustworthiness. Other skeptics who have conceded the Bible's historical accuracy include the renowned Jewish archaeologist Nelson Gluick, who said, It may be stated, categorically, that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. The almost incredibly accurate historical memory of the Bible 
and particularly so when it is fortified by archaeological fact. This is a very significant statement, since it is made by one who totally denied the inspiration of Scripture. Earl Radmacher, former president of Western Conservative Baptist Seminary, notes, I listened to Blueck when he was at Temple Emmanuel in Dallas, and he got rather red in the face and said, I've been accused of teaching the verbal, plenary inspiration of the Scripture. I want it to be understood that I have never taught this. All I have ever said is that in all my archaeological investigation I have never found one artifact of antiquity that contradicts any statement of the Word of God. Another one-time skeptic was Dr. Clifford Wilson, who, due to the discoveries made, concluded that It is the studied conviction of this writer that the Bible is the ancient world's most reliable history textbook. For some time, scholars thought that the style of Greek that the New Testament is written in was some sort of fancy religious Greek because it differed so much from the official Greek government decrees of that era. The official fancy academic Greek of the first century was different than the Greek of the New Testament. Now, it turns out that the reason for the difference is that the New Testament's actually written in accessible common speak. We know that because we discovered a bunch of writings and pottery inscriptions from that era and time and place that showed that the New Testament was written in layman's terms, essentially. Just a point of interest. you got to realize that the New Testament letters were written in a fashion which would have severely, would have severely handicapped someone who was attempting to create a religion from scratch based on pure lies. New Testament accounts claimed to be eyewitness accounts and named other eyewitnesses that would have still been alive at the time in which the records were written, being passed around, and read by other people. They could have been verified and therefore falsified. Furthermore, the authors and their third-party witnesses were currently living at the time as the, at the same time that the hostile non-believers were living to whom they were preaching. So if anybody had an interest in dispelling the BS, very hostile non-believing forces, which is the Roman proconsuls, the Roman military presence, the Jewish religious establishment, as well as other non-believing Jews and compatriots, the New Testament believers were putting themselves in a very precarious position if what they were saying was an outright lie. For example, if I go up to a police officer and make a very, very specific claim, I name events, places, other witnesses, etc., that I know that police officer can go and verify, I would be an absolute fool to do so if I was falsifying my story. The New Testament is written by several authors describing several events, including testable historical landmarks, people, places, cities, and customs. No other supposed holy book is written in this historical style. In fact, most ancient history texts are not as loaded with as much verifiable extra detail. We can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the texts of the New Testament accurately describe the geographical and political details as well as the people who were contemporaries of Jesus and his earliest disciples. You'd have to gather the global evidence concerning the New Testament in order to ascertain whether or not it can be trusted. I would argue, however, that if it is a hoax, 
It is the most cleverly devised and unspeakably odd religious phenomenon in our history. Why would men decide to nurse the New Testament letters with such unequaled care as we saw in first three parts of our series? And why would they die for what they knew was a lie? How could a story so outlandish be fabricated and passed around within the lifetime of Jesus' contemporaries and not be laughed out of existence? Imagine trying to put Gandhi through a divine and miraculous makeover even a full 70 years after his death. Would it work? No. People are around who know enough about that time period, even three or four generations later, to completely dispel any such total radical makeover. The tone of the New Testament is different also than that of myth. The themes are layered in historically accurate details. Other holy books only describe religious regulations and opinion statements, not people, places, events, and other verifiable information. The Quran, for example, was written by one man and only contained religious opinion, nothing that could be testable or verifiable. The Book of Mormon, also written by one man, Joseph Smith, did include historical details about the early Americas in the 900s B.C., now, all of it was fictitiously created, and both anthropological genetics and archaeology completely falsified every single claim made by Joseph Smith of early Americas. This has not been done to the New Testament. The New Testament includes far more detail than the Book of Mormon, none of which have been proven false. The New Testament describes the actions of the early church and contains communications between pastors and their churches. Not a typical fodder for false religious hoaxes. What is the New Testament if it isn't the well-preserved writings of the earliest Christians? These questions must be answered by the skeptic if he or she wants to make an educated decision for or against the validity of the New Testament. The Christian New Testament is the most well-attested document in ancient history. It cannot be treated lightly as it makes not only the most astounding claims in all of literary tradition, but is itself highly historically believable. Thank you for joining us. Please visit our website and social media. Find us at intersectionvictoria.com. Goodbye.